new Metallica. Hello. Number one on the hot rock. The hot rock? Hot rock. Hot rock 96.9. Metallica plays here. What are your big Metallica guy? Danger Dan with music that you want to hear. Danger Daniels. Got nine lung darts early in the morning. It's not even 10 o'clock. Happy uh, Thursday, everybody, and welcome. Happy December, Scott. Where? Come on, where's the year gone, huh? Huh? Where's it gone? I don't... Exactly. All, all I know is, you know what today is? Today's December 1st. It's the first Thursday of December. There you go. Yeah. Got that going for us. First history lesson of December coming up today. That is correct. Yep. A little bit later in the program. Yeah. Wow. So welcome to our Thursday edition of the program. Glad you're here uh, and aboard and with us and lots of fun things, uh, which we will tackle uh, between now and before the show uh, ends. <sighs> Had a small... Um, it, it, it wasn't an issue on my part yesterday. What'd you do? By the you way, know me, I just assume you did something wrong. By the way, I won't say this. Uh, I'll tell you in your ear, okay? So I pulled up to this place yesterday, and there's a fire truck, okay, ambulance, uh-huh. multiple cop cars, all in front, mm-hmm. and people like, it's no big deal, man. <laughs> just walking out. Doesn't it's concern, like, it doesn't concern it, you. It's like, no big deal. Well, but... Once I told you where I was, you're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense, It right? doesn't concern you. Keep, yeah. keep on. Yeah, you just walk inside. It's like, I don't even know what's going on, man. It's all good. You know? What does that mean? No one knows what's going on with anything anymore, Mark. Yeah. So, I got boxed in by an electronic cart. Yeah. So, person shopping, I'm trying to make a quick grab and go. Not shoplift, like get the next item. Like, go lean in and get that, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be courteous, Okay. So the person's got the cart, pull up, and I'm, I'm, I'm boxed out here. Yeah. Okay, I'm boxed out. So I got a couple choices, three choices. One, wait patiently. Two, lean over. Right? Or three, come back. Oh. Right? Which one would you do? Uh, Wait patiently. Wait patiently, okay? Yeah. Wait patiently, lean over, or come back, okay? All right. So you said wait patiently, right? Mm-hmm. What, um... What's the time frame that your patience is hanging in? Not here? long, if I'm being honest. Give me an idea. Couple minutes. Couple minutes? Yeah. Minutes? Yeah, because I can check stuff on my phone. Am I? Well, the question is, am, am it's I? One item. It, it's am, right there. Am You're I not waiting a couple of minutes. Uh, Everybody's in a hurry when you go there. Who goes true. there and says I've got plenty of time to roam around? You know there are some people. No. Well. Yeah. Okay. So. No, I, I honestly, I'll just walk back. So I decide after waiting patiently had gone too long, I'm going for the lean in. Mm. Didn't go well for you, did it? Wait, 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 wait. I'm going driver's side left. Okay? Okay. Which means I'm coming from behind. I politely say, excuse me, I just want to lean over and grab something. Mm-hmm. I am not anywhere near making contact with the vehicle yep. or the person. Okay. And again, this is an electronic shopping cart with a person sitting down with a cart. Mm-hmm. They are with someone who's off to the right. Yep. Driver's side, back left, lean over. Okay. 
I can grab with the left, pull back, and I'm out, no contact, and I'm I'm off. Okay? I successfully lean forward, mm-hmm. grab the item, okay, come back, put in my wagon, and I get, would you mind helping me grab something? Oh. So what do you do? You help. Even though, mind you, I'm really blocked further of what you're asking for. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to help. Yeah. I'm going to help. They ask politely. Not a problem. Yeah. So I lean forward to get this item in the frig- in the refrigerated section. Mm-hmm. And I pull. And Scott, like when you stack playing cards up or dominoes, and then you push them and they fall down in like a 50-second video, mm-hmm. it was incredible how many items fell. Did you run? From the third... <laughs> On the third show. Can I tell you what I got? Yeah. They wanted cream cheese. Okay. Okay? And I leaned forward to grab one of the cream cheese. And I don't know what hit, right? But it hit. Scott, like 40 items are just dropping all over the place (laughs) and so forth. Now, what I want to do is I want to get out of here. Yeah. But then part of me is this guilt like people will look over and blame. These two people. So I stick around, and, and all this happens in like three seconds, right? Yeah. It falls, and like every every person in this place that's working all turns and looks, and there's like this silent moment of like, mm-hmm. what did you do? But then to top it off even more, the person that I helped looks up at a couple of the workers and goes, he did it. I mean, you did. You did do it. Well, a little, you did. but a little clarity, like I asked them to lean over and but so forth. But you did it. It doesn't matter. Okay, last thing, am I obligated to, to, to clean it up and put it back? At that store, you walk away. <laughs> I started restacking a shelf. Why? I went no. back to like 1980 at Publix when I was working as a 13-year-old stacking you go shelves over, again. put an apron on. Oh, my God. So what's the lesson? Don't help anybody out. Yeah. Stay out of it. Don't buy cream cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, help out. Lean in. What do you need? Sure. Stuff just falling all over the place. Yeah, he did it. Oh, you had to say that? Yeah. So that 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 that, that was about three minutes of my shopping yesterday. Wow. And when I left, ambulance is still out there. The fire truck is still out there. The cops are still out there. Yeah, whatever. No They're big just deal. They're for a different reason. Yeah, now. whatever. It's no big deal. Yeah. So there you go. On our program uh, today, uh, I wrote about this yesterday. Talked about it. Monday, the transfer portal officially opens, and um, depending on the treasure chest your favorite team has built with its collective, may determine its success in the transfer portal. Because as I was just telling Mike, the new thing now is when you enter the transfer portal. You then go post on social media what schools have already offered you to come play for them. Why do you do that? Because you want to put the bidding out there. Hey, so-and-so wants me. Would you like me? Uh, Mitt Winter will join us, the sports attorney that uh, has, I think, carved a niche as an expert in the NIL world. We'll talk to him. Cam Miller, Pro Football Network and um, College Football Network will join us for its weekly visit about 1035 today to take a look at the action on the field. We always look forward to chatting uh, with him. Magic last night got back Markel Fultz and Cole Anthony. Yeah. 
They're back. Um, the team still gave up 70 in the first half. That's fine. When you score 71. Uh, the Magic were down 20 at the half. Uh, Markel Fultz uh, had eight points in 17 minutes. Gary Harris played 17 minutes, didn't score, and left with an injury. Cole Anthony played 24 minutes, uh, had 11 points in the basketball game, and again the Magic uh, fell to uh, the Hawks 125 to 108, fall to five and 17. But if you want to look at the glass being an eighth full, uh, Markel Fultz came back and played. So. Let's hope that he continues to get in game shape and uh, can be productive for the Magic, uh, who did again fall uh, last night to the Hawks. And now fall to 5-17. and 17. Knicks lost the Bucks last night. I got worried for your team when I saw... Got worried for who? Uh, your, uh, when the I Knicks? S- yeah. We're in the ball game. Had a chance to win. I know, but your, uh, your, your point guard got injured like immediately in the game. And then Derek Rowe... I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't know Derek Rowe still played. He doesn't play that often. He's not in the rotation for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Knicks actually played a good game last night and and didn't rotate. And Milwaukee had a three to break the tie late, and and they ended up winning the basketball game. Uh, played well, but uh, lost uh, last night. So, by the way, we talked about this off air. Really, we could have gotten fair play involved in a World Cup yesterday. It was insane. For a moment, it looked like the tiebreak of Mexico and Poland was going to come down to who behaved better in their three matches. Fewer yellow cards is a tiebreak when you get past because we don't have home and away goals. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you get down to it, that was uh, a tiebreaker, which if you're polling, like, be nice. (laughs) Be nice. And in related news. And then Mexico, yeah, as soon as their match ended, fired. Uh, I was wondering why Herm was in the stadium. Uh, and, yeah, big news for Mexico not advancing. Uh, so, all right, we come back. The $450 million decision in college football. We'll get to that story. But first, our World Cup schedule is brought to you by our friends at Greenway Dodge and Greenway Ford. Uh, four matches set for uh, today in the World Cup as uh the round of or the group uh, that makes uh, the round of 16 still to be determined: Canada and Morocco, uh, Croatia and Belgium, and then later today, two o'clock, Costa Rica and Germany. Who needs help? They'll need a win and a Spain win or goal differential to get in. And Japan will take on Spain. Who needs just a draw to advance? Uh, the World Cup schedule brought to you by our friends at Greenway Dodge and Greenway Ford. Shop online at GreenwayDodge.com and GreenwayFord.com. Greenway, the only way. Uh, the 450 million dollar decision. That story next. Sports, uh, thank uh, the good folks from uh, Mary Dora. They've been coming by all week, dropping off uh, lots of goodies. And um, Allison, a bake shop uh, today, uh, they brought by some cookies and other sweets. And um, we appreciate uh, their great hospitality. And you could uh, check out Mary Dora. They got the big uh, 29th annual Christmas walk coming up on uh, this Friday tomorrow from 6 until uh, 9 o'clock. So there you go. And uh, thanks for bringing uh, the sweets by. Um, I mentioned this yesterday, and it did happen uh, early in the evening last night, and it's worth $450 million. 
Get, get, I, be a clerical error in Scott's paycheck. What now? I, have a, I, I like. We talked about this yesterday. I read about this in your column yesterday, which everyone should go check out at 969thegame.com. I have so many follow-up questions that I, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't think about until after the fact. Okay. Related to this. So if you want to, like... Okay, so, so this is what happened yesterday, and I did write about this in my column, and I mentioned it on the show, and then it happened last night. Not that I was, you know, breaking news or looking at a crystal ball. It, 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 it was... Uh, Really, a your back's against the wall. What do you want to do? But but the four hundred fifty million dollars. Let me put some context here. So, for many many years, uh, dating back to the nineteen hundreds, the Tournament of Roses is a a group did a lot of charity work, but eventually became kind of an elite group in Pasadena, California, that put on a parade first. This idea of showcasing. Uh, floats and flowers and doing this, you know, nice, fun parade that became a staple of New Year's Day. And then they put a football game with it. And the Tournament of Roses Committee puts on the parade and a football game. And in uh, the 1920s, uh, they, they they pitted teams from the East and West. And they gave you, uh, eventually, the Big Ten and the Pac-8 played in the Rose Bowl. And long before we had anything like a college football playoff and we had uh, people voting on who would be number one, there was this incredible tradition of playing the Rose Bowl late in the afternoon of the East Coast on January 1st. And if you grew up and you're in my demographic, which is... Plus 30. Then there was something really cool about 5 o'clock, January the 1st, a beautiful sky... At the Rose Bowl, the sun beginning to set over the mountains, and it just was this picturesque thing that, being born in New York but grew up in South Florida, you're like, that looks really cool. And Big Ten, Pac-10 played, and it was part of college football tradition. And over the years, tradition kind of got stepped on. Uh, We look back and laugh at some things, like the idea that Newspaper and media people were voting on polls, and that's how we determined a playoff. And then we had computers get involved in all sorts of things. But then we had rivalries of teams that played for decades and decades that was no longer important, and we just did away with that because they changed conferences. And you've seen a lot of that in recent years. Some of it can be prevented. A lot of it, it's just the business of college football. When the college football playoff was created in 2014, they did give the Rose Bowl some of the things they asked for, which was a 5 o'clock slot when it wasn't hosting a playoff game, when it wasn't the place of a uh, game impact in the national championship. But then the idea came about expanding the college football playoff, and while uh, Athletic directors and representatives of each conference couldn't figure it out. The presidents came in and said, okay, you're done. Uh, We're doing this. Now go figure it out. The idea was, well, can we get it done before 2026? And the biggest reason why, and why is anything the way it is in college football, it's over money. So it wasn't fans are clamoring. We need an expansion now. It was, hey, ESPN, if we do this, do you want to pay more money? And they said yes. And the figure is about $450 million. And the presidents that sit on that commission for the college football playoff business model, uh, they were the ones that said, you, 
you dopes that couldn't figure this out are leaving a half billion dollars to the table, so get out of here. We're going to vote to approve the 12-team playoff because it's $450 million. And whatever the breakdown is, it's a lot more money for these conferences that we can get, so now go figure the whole thing out. And then they said to the people that run the college football playoff, go resolve the issues. And they included several things. Okay, uh... When are we going to do this? How are we going to schedule this? Does it conflict with the NFL playoffs? How about stadiums and the bowl people involved? We want the bowl people involved because they've been involved. So we got to work together, and then we check the bowl. And everyone has to agree. So all the New Year's bowls have to agree, hey, we may tinker with your schedule. And uh, in a 12-team playoff, there are no conference affiliations anymore. Uh, okay, we're all on board, except the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl sat there, whether you want to call them arrogant, elitist, whatever it is. And quickly, They're arrogant and elitist. 10 o'clock hour, WYG Orlando, WJR, HD2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando Sports Leader, Mark Daniels, and the Beat of Sports. They said, we don't want to give up 5 o'clock on New Year's Day. And we'd like to be, if it's a quarterfinal on New Year's Day, we want to be in one of those games, and we want that 5 o'clock slot. And we're going to want that slot. And the college football playoff people said, I can't guarantee you that. Well, it has to be unanimous. They had the power to not agree to it, and they would have held up the expansion of the college football playoff until the 2026 season. Instead, you can get it in 2024. And ultimately, the college football playoff gave them a deadline and said, either do it, and if you don't, then in 26, we might leave you out. What do you mean leave us out? There's plenty of other bowls. Got people in Orlando, got people in Houston, got people in a lot of places that are interested in taking your slot. You'd leave us out? Yeah, maybe we will. And so as the deadline approached, what would the Rose Bowl do? Would they hold their ground for two more years? And it's easy if you're not part of the history of that game, and not just the game, the history of waking up New Year's Day, the Rose Bowl parade, then the football game, it matters to people there. I get it as a college football fan. What do I care? Um, but it matters to those people. And history in this sport used to matter. So I understand it. But in the end, they caved. And in the end, they basically agreed. They could put a parade on. Uh, but next year ends the Big Ten, Pac-12, Rose Bowl. That's it. In years to come, it is possible, me as a fan and as somebody that works at UCF, the thought of broadcasting a game of the Rose Bowl is incredible. But it's possible in a couple years, UCF plays Clemson in the Rose Bowl in a playoff game. Uh, Great for UCF fans, and I'd love to do it, but I get it. The people out there would tell you this is not the Rose Bowl, which then leads to a few other things. With yesterday's decision by the Rose Bowl to basically fall in line, you'll get a college football playoff at the end of the 2024 season. It's worth probably about $450 million that ESPN's going to pay to, instead of doing the three playoff games, to have 11 playoff games. They're not likely to outsource it to somebody else. That likely will happen in the next contract that you'll have multiple networks involved in the playoff. $450 million to be divvied among the 10 conferences and Notre Dame. It's a lot of money. 
and that's why they're doing it. There are still some obstacles to come into play. The playoff, as it sits, will start the third week of September, and winning a conference championship matters. Like I was arguing yesterday, which I don't blame Mike. He put up a poll today that that people agree with me that the four playoff teams should be set because teams five through eight don't play in the playoff. Mike has just so much space, but kind of left that point out. So if you read it, you might think, oh, Daniels thinks that just these four teams should be in. Why should there be a playoff? No, my point is, it is the first time in the history of the college football playoff, which hasn't been around that long, that nobody in the top four plays anybody in spots five, six, seven, or eight. All the matchups of the top four teams are against teams outside the top eight. So the point is, why would you penalize any of the top four teams if they lose and reward someone who didn't earn the right to play in a conference championship game? I mean, the committee will do what they want to do. But in the new 12-team playoff, the highest four conference champions are the top four seeds. The highest-ranked six conference champions are guaranteed a playoff spot. And then there's six at-large spots. There is value to win the conference championship game. You get a bye. You don't need four wins to win the national championship. You need three. Playing one less is better. Your odds are better than if you have to play four. But I do think it's flawed. Because in the 12-team model, the first four games are going to be played on campus. So five plays 12 at five. 6, 11, 7, 10, 8, 9, with the higher seed, or in this case, 5, 6, 7, 8, hosting. The playoff people wanted to keep the Bulls involved. Uh, one, partly because of history. Two, they're going to pay a lot of bills that they don't need to pay. Um, and the Bull people are willing to do it, those that have been involved in these New Year's Six Bulls. But I don't think that will be for long. In fact, I'm not quite sure in the next contract it's even going to stick around. Why would somebody that could end up being an eight seed and possibly, possibly be ten and three, meaning they went ten and two, lost a conference championship game to a high seed uh, or number one or two team, and they finish seventh or eighth, and they host a uh, they host a playoff game at ten and three, they get to host a playoff game, but somebody who went thirteen and zero. Doesn't they got to go to a neutral site while the other four teams host a playoff game? I know they got to win one less game, but I'm not quite sure that that's going to be part of the long term future of the playoff. Then I also think there's the challenge of fan travel. Picture this scenario: if you're a if you're a Florida State fan. And you have a year that your team goes to the ACC championship, and now everyone's doing away at divisions. So that means they're, you know, one or two. And let's say that means you go uh, uh, 11 and one. And are you going to Charlotte for the ACC title game? Because if you do, that's one trip. Now, if you win, you might get a bye. But even if you get a bye, that's three more neutral site trips. And you may say, well, it's one more than now. I know. And some people even now would tell you that's a lot of fans. Because conference title game and then the round of 8-4, that's a lot to fill 80,000-seat stadiums. And do your fans make decisions? I'm not going to all these games. Uh, the, the NCAA tournament's different. I mean, the first 
two weekends, you're filling 20,000 seat stadiums. There's an occasional uh, football stadium that they'll do uh, Sweet 16 and Elite 8 rounds in. But for the most part, it's 20,000 seat arenas. And in the first weekend, you've got eight schools that are filling that place up. Um, That's why I've said before, I think the future of some, not all bowls, the future of some bowls will be the beginning of the year. Now, that's a scheduling challenge because people have put schedules for the next decade. But I could see a scenario where you have bowls that move to the uh, uh, I'm sorry, beginning of the season and cut a deal with conference and say, hey, you know, we'll take a, a team and kick off a year in a great location. Come to Orlando, Labor Day weekend or week zero, and let's start a season. Because I don't know how long that's going to work. I mean... Proof is in just what happened at the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl, as plus 30 people like me have known, it's over. It's just a stadium to host a game. The bowl itself, it, it, it's it, there's nothing to it to say, well, hey, I played in the 2029 Rose Bowl. No, you played in the quarterfinal. The game was in Pasadena. You didn't play in the Rose Bowl. I mean, those bowls are... Losing the history of playing in that bowl. You're playing in a stadium. just happens to be there. I mean, you may call the Cotton Bowl the Cotton Bowl because it's a quarterfinal. The game is played in, is it still AT&T Stadium? The game is played at Jerry's World. As of right now, yes. The actual Cotton Bowl? That's where Texas and Oklahoma play. So... That's why what the Rose Bowl did yesterday was worth $450 million, give or take a few million along the way. It's also part of more history and tradition uh, dying in college football, and it's it's happening in other sports as well. Um, and that's why it was significant what they did. And as much as I like the idea of a 12-team playoff, I do think it's a flawed system. I think if you go 13-0... And I look and go, wait, the team I beat, they got to host a playoff game. I don't. Yeah, but you have to win one fewer games. I know, but if I go 13-0, and shouldn't my fans be rewarded? Shouldn't they get the 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 party atmosphere, the joy of, of, of coming to our stadium to host a game? Which is why I do think when they get to that next contract, we'll see what happens. Did I answer all your questions, or do you have more questions? No, okay, I do actually have a couple more questions. So, they would have just been frozen out, like just some other bowl just jumps in? The Rose? Rose? Yeah. Rose Bowl could just exist if as the Rose Bowl. they opted to stay mm-hmm. in 24 and 25, they could have just bid like anybody else, but there would have been no obligation to keep them yeah. at all. And I think in the end, they chose to stay, quote, relevant in this rotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, otherwise, and it is. Someone's still going to play in the... Great stadium, but they're not guaranteed a, a 5 o'clock slot. And if people th- that are projecting this say, hey, the four quarterfinal games, ideally New Year's Day, but you might play one on New Year's Eve and three on New Year's Day, they could be the game that plays on New Year's Eve. Yeah, They could be the night game on New Year's Day. It It's whatever your TV partner is going to want. You're not locked into always getting that game. And then my other question how did they get so much power that they alone, or was it just everyone else had already agreed? Uh, it's a great question, and um, they just became the perfect slot and were successful in cutting deals over the years with NBC and then with ABC. 
and they had their own TV deal independent of everybody else. And it was like, no, you sign a deal with us. And we and our games played at 5 o'clock. And because they deliver the ratings, because it gave you, you know, a large West Coast brand and somebody from the uh, a Midwest, and everybody watched the Rose Bowl. And they were able to keep that leverage. And then ultimately the college football playoff people squeezed them and realized in the end we have no choice but – uh, to Kate. And like I said, there is that part of me that understands what they have tried to defend. We, we, you know, it's more than a century of us doing this event. And yet the sport has changed where they now basically tell us we either do this or not. And they wanted to stay somewhat relevant. So that's why they made this choice. And so goes another tradition of college football. Speaking of that, come Monday... It's a day like you've never seen, and your favorite team is busy working, both on and off the field, if they're still playing this weekend. I'll explain next. The Bean of Sports are brought to you by Seminole Power Sports, number one in fast fun. Ryan Road Ronan Sanford Highway 441 in Eusis. Online at SeminolePowerSports.com. Great time with the holiday season. Go check out great deals and treat yourself for something on the water, the road, the dirt, whatever it may be. It's Seminole Power Sports. Uh, I've talked about this a little bit, wrote about it in one of my columns. Uh, come Monday, it'll be one of the more unique days and weeks in college football history, not because the performance is on the field. We'll know who the four teams that are playing in the college football playoff are, but uh, player movement is going to be something like you've never seen. The transfer portal officially opens, and in the NIL-slash-pay-for-play world, um, it is going to be something that people have never seen. The number of players that enter and move will be more than you have ever uh, seen in previous years of the transfer portal. Uh, Midwinter has been a guest on our show before. Uh, the sports attorney has done a phenomenal job and I think carved an amazing niche in understanding NILs and collectives, and he's kind to join us to help us uh, sort through some things. Welcome back, Mitt. How are you? Doing good, Mark. Thanks for having me on again. Can you do this first for us? Um, what is the current NCAA rules regarding collectives, what they're allowed to do, and to what extent football programs are allowed to work with them yeah so number one the big rule with collectives and the NCAA actually issued a memo on this back in may of this year is collectives are considered boosters and under the ncaa rules boosters are not supposed to be involved in recruitment so they're not supposed to be talking with high school athletes they're not supposed to be talking with athletes at other schools who might be entering the transfer portal not supposed to be talking with the parents of those athletes. Um, so that's, that's the big one. Um, in terms of communication between schools and collectives, that's allowed as long as it's not against a state law. Um, there are some state laws that still limit communication between schools and people like collectives. Um, but actually a lot of state laws that did limit that have already been amended. Um, examples are Tennessee and Missouri. Um, people quickly identified some of the limitations in those state laws and how they would apply to collectives and you know, amended those laws quickly. And then Alabama just completely repealed its state law. Um, so there is definitely communication between schools and coaches and collectives. 
Um, but the collectives are supposed to stay out of the recruiting aspect of it. Obviously, that is uh, not happening everywhere, and there are collectives getting involved in recruiting, even though they're not supposed to. Who polices this? It's impossible for the NCAA to police this, so I guess it's upon the schools to police themselves. But who polices, and then who who observes to know what truly is a name, image, and likeness deal of athlete being hired to promote product or service versus here's cash? Yeah, I mean, number one, the NCAA is, is the big police entity in this scenario. Um, but they're very... they're. They're very understaffed. Obviously, there's lots of schools, there's lots of collectives, there's lots, lots of athletes, lots of activity happening out there, and there's it's impossible for them to keep tabs on everything that's going on. And they don't have subpoena power. They can't ask people to to send over their text messages and emails, especially boosters. Boosters don't have to cooperate with the NCAA. Um, and then you know the schools are supposed to be policing themselves and self-report violations that that they're aware of um but with nil everything is so gray um it's very unlikely you're going to have a a school self-reporting something that that they think you know could possibly be an nil violation especially when everyone knows you have collectives and maybe you know schools doing things that are, that are not allowed under the NCAA rules, so you're just putting yourself at a big disadvantage if you're if you're self-reporting those types of things. Um, Pete Nagel said on 3.com, you may have read the piece, he did a piece about the market that we might be seeing out there. This is on uh, uh, high school recruits. Forget the portal for a second. Quote, um, if you want to talk ball with the top quarterback in each class, you're going to need to come to the table ready to pay a seven-figure yearly salary, said an SEC collective operator recently told uh, on three, couple thoughts here. One, I guess a, a market in some form has been established, which I'm fine. That's the free market. Um, but SEC collective operative, that may be Pete Choicer. How big are we talking staffs? Like, what's the typical staff of a major collective outside of rich guys putting money into a pot that they're the negotiators here of seven figure deals with high school players, let alone what the portal is going to be? Yeah, it varies a lot. Um, a lot of the collectives have become very sophisticated businesses um, and with number of employees. Um, you know, that could range from having two to three employees to, you know, up to 10 employees. Um, it, it just varies a lot. And, you know, when a lot of the collectives got started, it was just maybe a booster and a couple of his buddies, and they just pulled some money together and were like, hey, let's, let's get in this NIL thing. But most of the collectors have quickly realized that if they want to be effective and do things, you know, the, the right way and, and and be sustainable, they're going to have to operate as a, as a true business, and uh, they're going to have to have people that that know what they're doing in terms of raising money, um, in terms of sourcing deals for athletes, putting. NIL opportunities together for the current athletes. Uh, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a full time job for for one person for sure, and then you know if you're doing it right, it's a full time job for for multiple people. Um, so the, the collective, their sophistication has has grown over the past year at, at most places, um, especially if they want to be 
um, effective and a player in the, the NIL market. I don't know the long-term uh, uh, ability of sustaining what some are saying, 20 plus $30 million a year, but I'm curious about this. This is your opinion on, on covering this industry. I brought this up a couple different times. Caleb Williams is a Heisman Trophy favorite. He might win it. He's not eligible for the draft. Drake May is a freshman finishing up an incredible year in North Carolina. He's not eligible for two more years. Why would they not say $10 million to come back? Or who's going to pay me six, seven, eight million dollars? Why would they not do that every year? Yeah, there are definitely going to be some guys that do that. Um, you've already seen some guys announce that they're going into the portal, and you can't actually go into the portal until Monday. But if you have already announced, hey, I'm going to be going into the portal, maybe that prompts the collective at the school you're at now to say, hey, we'd really like you to stay. Here is a new a new deal that we're going to offer you. And one thing to keep in mind is a lot of the, the deals that athletes already have with collectives are only for a year or a number of months, and they end when the football season ends, or they're you know they're they're written to kind of coincide with that timing. And so they they once the football season's over, they might not have a deal with the collective, and they're going to be up for a new deal. And if you signal that you're going to go into the collective, you know that might prompt the collective at your school to to offer you that that better deal, or you're, you're probably going to get offers from other collectives at other schools, and that's going to drive up the price for your, your current school. So I think you will see a lot of people having that, that mindset. It's basically annual free agency because, uh, you know, the athletes aren't signing contracts. They're, they're not uh, bound to a school, um, especially now that they can just transfer and play right away as long as it's the first time they've transferred um, or if they're a grad transfer. So, yeah, I think we'll definitely see see some of that with some guys. Matt, the lawyer and you, what are the concerns for some? I mean, high-profile guys, I think, are pretty well-staffed with, with, with probably good legal representation of anything that they put their name to, but there's probably hundreds of deals that are going to be cut next week, a player A leaving to go to school, uh, B and make this much, and there's no standard agreement here. So, uh, what concerns you about some of the stuff that's out there? Because it's not supposed to be promising for playing time, but yeah, you know, and I know there are guys j- jumping for cash that probably won't read the small print, have collectives that have attorneys that are pretty good at the way they can put something in writing if anything's in writing. So, what's the concern you have on that dark side of all this? Yeah, the deal that athletes are signing number one is there going to be a written agreement sometimes there's not which is a red flag right there for an athlete it's just a promise a verbal promise um and then the ones that they are signing very greatly in terms of how you know athlete friendly they are some are written as they're you know this money is just a loan to the athlete and they may have to pay it back under certain circumstances some you know take all of the athletes nil rights you know, for every category of, of deal they could enter into, um, so they're locked into doing business with the collectives. They, they won't be able to do deals like if Nike came to them. They wouldn't be able to sign a deal directly with Nike. They'd have to go through the, the collective. Um, some are for, you know, longer periods of time. Um, some don't have termination provisions, things like that. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, it's important for, for an athlete signs a deal with the collective to – 
in a perfect world have someone who knows what they're doing review it. Obviously, that's not going to be the, the case in every situation. Um, but, you know, at, at the very minimum, you should have a parent or someone else you trust you know, take a look at, at, at these deals before you sign it. As long as you agree to come back on the show in future months and years, I'm probably going to ask you this question once a year, so I'll ask it now. In five years, where's the collective business? Meaning, is it likely now under the umbrella of the university? Is it still independent? What, what, what's the collective in five years look like at a major school? Assuming that the NCAA rules stay the way that they are and that schools are not allowed to enter into NIL deals directly with athletes, um, it'll be, a, I believe it'll be a similar structure where the collectives are separate third-party entities. You know, obviously some are for-profit businesses, some are non-profit businesses. Um, but I think the, especially the collectives that do well, they'll just become more sophisticated, uh, run more like, like a business. Um, they'll have, you know, multiple employees with each employee having a specific uh, role that they play. You know, a good collective would probably have someone who their their sole job is determining what what is the market value for a deal for this type of player. Um, so they they know how, what types of deals they should be giving to their their current athletes, and if they're you know getting involved in the recruiting aspect, how much they should be offering athletes because that, that's going to be important. Um, they're going to have people whose jobs are to go out and, and find deals um, and create deals for athletes because, like I said, that's that's very important. And a lot of the people who've started up these collectives don't have any experience with that. A lot of them are, are you know, have good connections with boosters and are good at going out and talking to them and raising cash, but then didn't know what to do with all this cash they had sitting there. Um, so I think they'll just, they'll, they'll grow and become more sophisticated and, you know, even more important to recruiting success, uh, retaining coaches, maybe even retaining athletic directors. You know, we, we saw, uh, John Cohen go from Mississippi state to Auburn. And a lot of the speculation was around, uh, the lack of NIL activity at Mississippi state and how robust, uh, Auburn's NIL collective and their activity there was. He's on Twitter, uh, and you can find him at Winter Sports Law. And for all this NIL stuff, really helps explain a lot of things. Mitt, good catching up. Thanks. Happy holidays. I appreciate it. Same to you. Thanks, Mark. Uh, come back. We'll get on the field. Ken Meller's weekly football visit of the people that shined and those to watch. We'll get to that when the beat of sports continues next. As the snap makes the handoff, rolls left, goes in zone for six. Time to check in with Pro Football Network's Cam Meller for the latest on college football. What a grab! And a touchdown! Get the latest college football news at profootballnetwork.com. He's on uh, Twitter at Cam Meller, uh, Senior Director of College Football Network, uh, which on Twitter is at CFN365 and NFL Draft at uh, PFN365, which is a Pro Football uh, Network. Good morning. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm great. It's a, it's a bittersweet week, I guess, with uh, college football winding up. But, you know, I can already turn the clocks and look forward to uh, the 2023 season at this point. So, 
That's right. I mean, all the evaluation now. Now, now the real work begins uh, with all that stuff, huh? That's uh, uh, what yeah, the process. Is, yeah. We got the transfer portal. Where, where are we going to go? Who's in it? Who's actually going to go someplace? You know, it's a uh, it's three sixty five literally all well, year round for college football. We talked about that last couple of days. I had somebody on before you talking about what the collective role is now. But from a evaluation standpoint, we talked about this last year with Jordan Addison who made a decision to go from Pitt to USC. I don't know if his draft stock uh, was impacted that significantly. He certainly got a more high-profile attention playing with Caleb Williams. But this is going to be different because this is true for the agency, and it's not just about money for some guys. You would think they're getting some good advice about make sure you pick the right place that's going to help you showcase yourself. But I would imagine for talent evaluators like yourself, next week is really interesting to see who jumps from where to where. Yeah, it's super interesting in that regard, too, because if you look at the, the Jordan Addison situation, now that we've watched the seasons pan out, you know, Pittsburgh's offense turned into that run first, 11, 12 personnel, and he wouldn't have been featured as much as he has been so far at USC. And so, you know, he missed a few games, but had he missed a few games at Pitt, he probably would have been sitting there maybe 20, 25 catches, you know, and so it's, it's, it's good for the players. It's good for. Uh, you know, the coaches and the, and the football programs themselves, but for us as talent evaluators and us who have to talk about it, you know, it, it takes a lot more uh, in the offseason. You know, there is no time to coast. And so for us looking at it, I think it's best to look at it that way, too, is who could potentially help themselves, who could keep themselves where they are, and then who could eventually, you know, who might need a change of scenery. So it, it, the transfer portal has changed everything, not just from us, our standpoint, but everywhere, you know, coaches as well and, and even athletic directors. So it's a, it's a wild time coming up next week. Yeah, look. Caleb Williams may end up winning the Heisman Trophy. He's got leverage. I mean, he literally can say, who wants to pay me $10 million? But also, even a guy like Drake May can make it clear to Carolina, you better get wide receivers. I mean, now these guys have legitimate leverage. I'm not just paying me, but you got to go get me, guys. Yeah, you got to go. And uh, for Drake May's case here specifically, too, they lose the Seam Richards, the left tackle. Uh, and after that, and Corey Gaynor, the center. After that, there's not a whole lot of offensive line protection for him there either coming back. So, you know, get, get me some line and get me some weapons. Get me some favorable situations on offense as well, where I'm not coming back on the field after uh, my defense allows a quick touchdown too. So there's a lot that goes into it. A lot of these athletes are going to have more say than I think that they even recognize right now. That's going to quickly turn turn the tide as we uh, get down to it. It's not just going to be the Caleb Williams of the world. It's going to be multiple players have a lot of say so in their program. All right, we talked about matchups of Michigan Ohio State. We watched the game. Uh, give me some of the evaluations you took out of it. Not just I mean Michigan won and won comfortably, but what about some of the matchups that you were looking at? You know, I, I think I said it here last week and it was it watch Olusigan Oluwatime, the center, the Virginia transfer and uh, he was dominant and I'm ready to actually put him in the running for the best offensive player of the country. I mean, we knew Michigan's offensive line was very good, and they were good last year. The Joe Moore Award winner probably going to win the Joe Moore Award again this year. But Olavitime makes that offense go, and he made multiple blocks, and I think it was highlighted by multiple different entities around the, the country and then especially on Saturday, springing those Donovan Edwards runs. I mean, it was his play at the center of that offensive line is really what I think dictated the, the game, at least the second half, and then ultimately won the game for him. So... Uh, to me, it, it didn't quite hurt C.J. Stroud's chances. He is exactly who we thought he is. Um, he needs a couple of players around him to help him out. I think who probably hurt himself the most in this one, and, and it didn't ultimately do it any well, is uh, Paris Johnson, the left tackle, as well. Seemed a little bit overmatched, and that's the second year in a row that Michigan has, has proven always used left tackles to be overmatched, and Nicholas Petit-Ferrer last year as well. So, uh, you know, it's some, a lot of takeaways, but it's still just one game in the evaluation process. Um. 
Would you vote for Caleb Williams? And, and I mean, he had a good game against uh, Notre Dame. It wasn't a spectacular game, but the body of work in the last month, and, and he's got another shot against a pretty good Utah defense this year. But um, if you had a vote, would you vote Williams? As of right now, I would vote Williams. I think if you look at it, Notre Dame's defense was playing probably the best pass defense we've seen them in, from them in some time, but also some of the best pass defense in the country over the past month and a half. And so uh, for him to not have as much through the air, he, he recognizes and understands his talent, and he was able to you know, win how they needed him to win, and that was with his legs. And so I think it's this offense this year hasn't really showcased his legs as much, but he's probably still the fastest player when he's on the field. And so... Overall, he's done enough. He understands what to win, how to win. Um, he's just a polarizing figure. So I think in my book, he does have he does have my vote for the Heisman. Um, in our state, Florida and Florida State played a thrilling football game uh, that came down to the end, and, and Florida State won. Did Anthony Richardson take his final snap as a Gator? I believe he did. I, I think he's probably not even with the program and mentally, at least. He may be in Gainesville, but I, in my opinion, he's out, out the door. We're already looking at some projections as well with him going potentially top ten at this point too. What? So I, I still, yeah, I still don't see it. I know there's a lot. I don't know how you can watch a game and see that, but I understand there are tools and there are some uncoachable things that he has within his repertoire that uh, it makes people excited. I'm not ready. I'm not sold on it yet, but I absolutely do see the upside that he he possesses. Okay, uh, then I have to do this because. If some are going to project him, and by the way, good for him if it happens, okay? If he's projected in the top half of the first round, then what do I do with a guy that is 66%, 4,354 yards, 29 touchdowns, and threw for 485 in his rivalry game from Tampa, by the way, Michael Penix? I think Michael Penix needs a lot more love as well. I think nationally he's not getting it. Uh, I do have the, the you have the injury concerns with Michael Penix and the, the system dependency with Michael Penix because he wasn't very good without Kalen DeBauer as his OC or head coach. And so I, I, that's the only concern there. But Penix has a rocket for an arm. He's incredibly athletic. We have him in our top five, among our top five quarterbacks this season as well, right on that fringe right there with um, it's, it's him and then it's on, honestly Will Levis for us. Um, and so to me, Penix needs a lot more love nationally than I think he's even coming close to sniffing right now. So his presence at one of the All-Star games, the Shrine Bowl or the Senior Bowl, will do him wonders because I think everybody will start to pay more attention to him. You told me about uh, Jared Verse, uh, who went to Florida State, was at Albany, was one of the great finds as a pass rusher, and I'm guessing he's done himself well this year. Absolutely. Uh, he's not quite the Jermaine Johnson, uh, you know, winning the ACC defensive player, but honestly with the way Johnson slipped down into that last portion, I think, honestly, Jared Burst could be drafted even higher. I think if we see him at an all-star game, which I don't know if he'll have to, because he's essentially a, a top 33, 35 pick lock, he could really sneak into the, that first round and, and honestly into the 20s with, with how talented he is. There's there's power, there's strength, there's the proverbial bend where he can get underneath the tackle. Um, but honestly, his name of the game is that high motor that he takes the, every play as his last almost. Uh, and so I really love what he brings to the table. He he showcased that it wasn't just that he was dominating FCS and lower tier talent. He is just a truly special guy. Uh, by design, I watch more Big 12 football this year, and because I love the story, I've watched a lot of TCU. Um, Quentin Johnson, 6'4", 200-plus. What's the book on Quentin Johnson? To me, I can't shake the fact that he looks exactly like Kelvin Benjamin in his prime at Florida State. I don't want to go, and I know I said that, and instantly people conjure up the notions of Kelvin Benjamin when he was 265 coming into Carolina Panthers camp. But that's not Quentin Johnson. Quentin Johnson is that Kelvin Benjamin player, but he's faster, he's stronger, he's bigger. 
and honestly, he has better hands. And so he looks a lot like Kelvin Benjamin, but as if Kelvin Benjamin was an all-pro receiver. Uh, so to me, the, the book on him is the top receiver, honestly, a top 10 pick. He could sneak in if some team you know, deems him worthy or get the draft haul and trade back into that top round. I'm looking right at the Chicago Bears trading out of two uh, with the team that's quarterback needy and getting a draft haul, but also getting the best receiver, maybe even the best pure offensive player uh, in this draft class, and that's Quentin Johnson. I meant to bring this up before. Is Florida's Osiris Torrance a first-round pick? Absolutely. I think he's the top offensive guard, uh, top interior lineman right now, and that includes John Michael Schmitz and even Ola Batime from, from Michigan as well. I don't know if he'll go in the first round because of uh, positional importance for draft picks, but I absolutely think he should. He proved, again, a similar player, proving that it wasn't just the Louisiana competition that he was playing against. He, he proved it in the SEC, and that's all he needed to do this year. Um, what player disappointed you the most? That before the year you thought this guy top ten, top fifteen, top twenty. You're like, wow, never saw the progression. I, I thought Keaton Slovis playing in a more pro style offense at Pittsburgh. The change of scenery, the the assistance he was going to get with some pretty talented playmakers, the offensive line, Israel Batacanda as well. I, I thought he was going to take that proverbial leap where he was going to be able to thrive in a, in a sort of a pro style system where he could, you know, and it just didn't happen. He didn't make progressive reads properly. His arm seemed a little bit deflated as well at times. I know some of it was schematically play calling, but he never really took that, that jump. I know he had some games where he looked good, but other games he just looked abysmal. And so for, for a guy who we talked about as a first round talent, not this year, not this off season, but at one point in his career, he has not looked anything more than a day three or a fringe preferred free agent after the draft. Um, sometimes uh, you know it's hard to, to focus on linemen for people on TV. To, and you brought up about Michigan, um, but tell me a couple of linemen that people may not know that are going to become names as they get towards the draft, whether it's offensive or defensive side, maybe the interior, which is also difficult to get headlines. That people are going to go, oh, I've heard that name, I've heard that name that had really good years. So I'll, I'll go to TCU here, too, and Steve Avila. So watch the Big 12 title game and, and watch their center, Steve Avila. This is a guy who, to say he's a mauler, I think it's probably a, it's just using one of those terms, but he's a true road grader. This is a guy who, again, dictates the, the pace of play for them, for that offense. He's a, a truly talented guy. And then, obviously, same, you got to watch all of a teammate. This is a guy who... Again, the same exact situation. Centers, they don't get enough love, and they need more love. Alex Forsyth as well from, from Oregon. These are three of the top centers in the country. Guys who are going to get drafted also have this, quote, positional versatility where they could probably play guard in the NFL, too. So all three of the centers, Alex Forsyth, uh, Ola Butime from Michigan, and then Steve Avila from TCU, these are three guys that you need to know for the draft class, but also this weekend as well. Uh, composite recruiting rankings may not mean anything. As Miami goes 5-7, and seven, and a first-year coach and staff will typically rip the coaching staff before and basically tell players, I wouldn't have recruited you. But did Miami really underachieve by a significant margin? Because there are still a bunch of four and a few five-star guys that were on that roster. Yeah, it's tough, but it ultimately goes to me. It goes down to two different things. It's coaching and the ability to elevate the talent more than just a four- and five-star. Um, but it's also, it unfortunately proves the importance and why we talk about quarterbacks so much on this show is how good as a team really, it, it really boils down to how well their quarterback can command the team on offense. And ultimately that, you know, correlates over to the defense. Texas A&M, the number one recruiting class, Miami, an incredible recruiting class, both had below average quarterback play for the majority of their season this year. And look at both of them with losing records. And so to me, 
it, it, it proves the point that quarterback is the most important position in all of team sports, but also, you know, it, it, you have to start looking at those coaching staffs and say, hey, did they actually elevate or do they just get a team of high school all-stars that isn't really a team, it's just all individualistic play? Uh, all right, I'm going to throw some uh, games uh, this weekend and give me a few matchups you're going to really want to look at. USC, Utah? I want to see if Clark Phillips, uh, the cornerback at Utah, can contain whoever, whatever receiver is in front of him. He can cement. I think he's already cemented himself as a first-round pick. Clark Phillips has that cornerback. Um, but if he can make a couple of plays on the ball and make a highlight reel, he honestly can get himself the Jim Thorpe Award. So Clark Phillips in that secondary against either either of the receivers from USC. I'm not leaving it out. North Texas and UT San Antonio. So watch Austin Uni, the Ani, excuse me, the quarterback from North Texas, 29 year old, uh, spent multiple years in the Yankees organization as a minor league baseball pitcher. Watch this kid playing the ball. He's also a deceptive athlete, but to me, it, it, it boils down to Frank Harris. UTSA is pretty banged up, so they're left-handed quarterback and um, all-time record holder for basically every UTSA record. Watch Frank Harris dissect that North Texas secondary, which has the nation's PBU leader, pass breakup leader in Raleigh, in, uh, Raleigh Texada. Kansas State, TCU. Max Duggan. Can he, uh, can he take care of this offense and take care of the ball? There's some pretty talented players on that Kansas State defense, but nobody that should really scare the the TCU offense uh, can Max Duggan infiltrate their secondary with enough throws? We've seen him do some tight window throws this year. Can he keep getting away with them? Uh, and can they stay alive? Talk about a view from one week to the next after that LSU lost against A and M, but there's still talent. What's the matchup that intrigues you of LSU Georgia? Can the LSU pass rushers get pressure? It's Ali Gay, it's BJ Ojolari. Both guys have first round draft stock in in them. They both have elite pass rushing productivity behind them. Can they get past that offensive line to to cause enough pressure on Stetson Bennett? And then ultimately, can the defensive the the defensive front, the front seven, the linebackers contain that rushing attack? That's what they need to do to win. But you otherwise, s- it's a uh, it's it's tough that the LSU defense will have their hands full. Bonus second question with this UCF Tulane and how great was a holler catch? I mean, terrific, right? But to <laughs> me. To me, what I want to see the UCF Tulane, I, I don't know. I'm not down there, and I haven't, honestly. I have a fool's error here on my part, not looking up Plumlee's health because uh, he was ultimately the difference maker. Is he playing, and is he going to be 100%? When well, Cam, it's a great way to uh, have me tease. Tonight on UCF Night Talk, among our player guests will be UCF quarterback John Rice Plumley tonight at 7 o'clock. See, I'm just lobbing softballs to you here. It's usually you lob them to me, but now it's it's me doing the other yeah. one for you. But that's what I want to see. Is he going to be the difference maker yet again with his legs? We do understand how talented that Tulane defense is. And so, to me, he's the difference maker. And if UCF is forced to throw first, uh, it's uh, it, it bodes to the to Tulane and Dorian Williams, the talented linebacker, pass rusher extraordinaire. Uh, may not be one that involves a national championship race at all, but it's still talent, particularly Clemson's defense against North Carolina's offense. Yeah, it looks like this will probably be the last time we get to see Miles Murphy, Brian Brisee, and Trenton Simpson, as all have uh, reportedly decided on representation for the next level. So it looks like this is their last game. Uh, talented as talented gets, either top, potentially top 15 picks, three top 15 picks. So watch and uh, enjoy the greatness that is this Clemson defense and see if that secondary can hold up against Drake May. Because that, that's really, this is, uh, if you look for next year's growth, we're going to watch Drake May and how well he dissects that Clemson secondary. And by the way, because we respect all, I'm not leaving out Toledo and Ohio in the MAC game. Dequan Finn, the quarterback from Toledo, this kid's special. It's uh, it's unfortunate that we don't get to see Finn versus Curtis Rourke because uh, of the torn ACL. So let's just see what the Toledo defense can do. Quinion Mitchell as well, the quarterback. Guy had four interceptions in a game earlier this year. 
watch this kid take over and force Ohio to have to run the ball, which they have not done as well as they've thrown the ball this year. He's on Twitter at Cam Meller. Uh, check out the work at ProFootballNetwork.com. Uh, draft, you name it, and college football, you'll find it all there. Thank you for a fun championship week, and we'll talk to you next week. You as well, man. Thanks as always. Uh, 11 o'clock hour kicks off with Scott in the news. But let me remind you, tonight, 7 o'clock, UCF Night Talk, uh, preview of the championship game against Tulane. Gus Malzahn will be there, our scheduled guest, UCF quarterback John Rice Plumley and first-team all-conference linebacker Jason Johnson will join us tonight, 7 o'clock, Idle Wind Company by UCF. Uh, join us on site or listen right here. Scott in the News kicks off the 11 o'clock hour next. Let's really do the news. Yes. Now it is time to do the news. But now it's time uh, for the news. 11 o'clock hour, WYJ Orlando, WJRR, HD2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando Sports Later. Scott's got the news. What up, my news heads? Yeah. What's going on, everyone? <sighs> Another edition of the news. That's Mark Daniels. Ooh, yeah. I'm Scott Harris. Watch the trailer? Of course I watched the trailer. Cocaine Bear? Of course I watched the trailer. First chance I got, I watched that trailer. You in? I'm still not sure if it's real or not. The movie? Yeah. The movie's real. The wow. story is based on actual events yeah. to an extent. Huh. Yeah. Okay. It, uh, interesting. And this is Ray Liotta's, I think, one of his last movies. I think it was, but yeah. I don't know if he had anything else. Well, I just saw, like, on Twitter, Cocaine Bear. I thought, okay, someone put a graphic up, and, and then it's like, oh, here, here's the trailer. It's like, wait, what? No, it's ba- it's based on an actual, like, I know it says it in the, in the trailer, but, like, yeah. parts of that story are true. A lot of what's in the movie is embellished. You in? You going to go see it? I don't really think so. Why not? I think I'll wait till it's available on some flight, and after the other 66 options, I go, you know what? Yeah, a gas station pump. (laughs) Trey Young had 30 points and 14 assists, and the Hawks snapped a three-game losing streak with a 125-108 win over the Orlando Magic. DeJounte Murray added 27. Clint Capella finished with 20 points and 12 rebounds after dominating a first quarter in which Atlanta built an 11-point lead. Franz Wagner had 22 points in six rebounds for Orlando, which lost its sixth straight. Paolo Bencaro added 20 points and five assists. Well, Markel Fulton, Cole Anthony are back. Yeah, they're back. What about all the other guys? One at a time. No, why can't we just have everyone healthy at one time? Just one at a time. Giannis Antetokounmpo had 37 points, 13 rebounds, and 7 assists. And Grayson Allen made a tie-breaking three-pointer with 30 seconds left after his superstar teammate fouled out to lead the Bucks to a 109-103 victory over the Knicks. R.J. Barrett scored 26 points, Julius Randle added 18, and Jalen Brunson had 17 for the Knicks, who piled up 140 points in Detroit on Tuesday night, but found things a little bit different against the Bucks. Top-notch defense. Um, Knicks played well. They just, I mean, Milwaukee hit a big shot, didn't rotate on defense, hit a three, and uh, they played well. Talked about this earlier in the show. The last remaining obstacle to expanding the college football playoff to 12 teams in 2024 and 2025 has been cleared. A source uh, told ESPN on Wednesday that the Rose Bowl has... This is great, okay? So I think... 
I think either Pete Thamel of ESPN or Ross Ellinger of Sports Illustrated was the first to report it. And then if you go look at the Twitter timeline, within the next three minutes, everybody else fell in line with sources told them. Mm, gotcha. You know? Even though either Pete or Ross was first, sources just confirmed to me what someone just told them. It's like, oh, it's so embarrassing. It's just, you know. The Rose Bowl has agreed to terms that will pave the way for like, the Like, I'm co- not going to stop following you if you said so-and-so broke it first and they're right. Well, sometimes that does like, happen. I'm not going to stop following you. Yeah. We'll pave the way for the college football playoff to expand in its final two seasons of the current contract, 24 and 25. Any more steps you towards... You don't shave much. You know what happened to me yesterday? You forgot how to do it? No, no. Uh, you know, I, I guess I'm at that age where, like, I oh, you're like, did I miss a spot? And you're oh. like, oh, I did, yeah. But that's why you know I carry like a toiletry bag here. So you take that dry razor and go into the bathroom and just like cut your face up and stuff. So I had that like. Yeah. Who are you, Mac from Predator? <laughs> yeah, never go to the hotel front desk and ask for a razor. You may as well just take a knife and slit your face. <laughs> At what point do we stop saying plus 30 and start saying plus 35? It, uh, not with me. I, I mean, you know my deal. Okay. I'm 55. I think I look 45. You act 12. No. I, 55, I look 45. Um, and you and feel 35. I feel 35, but I act 25. Gotcha. Okay. That's what I do. Tata Martino has left his role as Mexican's uh, head soccer coach after El Tri exited the (laughs) World Cup at the group stage. Mexico beat Saudi Arabia 2-1 in their final group game, but it wasn't enough to make the last 16 as they missed out to Poland on goal differential. Martino's team took just one point from their first two matches in Qatar, failing to score in a draw with Poland in defeat to Argentina. In a news conference after the game, Martino said his contract had ended following Mexico's elimination. <laughs> no, his contract was up. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, Tata, the phone, I've got a phone call for you. Hey, Tata, Term, you're out. Yeah. Somebody tell Herm, you're going to fire the Mexican national code. What? What conference are they in? Mountain West. Aaron Rodgers is playing Sunday against the Chicago Bears despite his uh, latest injury. This one to his ribs in the Packers quarterback doesn't plan on changing uh, that changing the rest of the season, except if they're out of playoff contention. At 4-8 and eight and teetering on the verge of elimination, that could become a reality sooner rather than later, at which point Rodgers said he understands that a conversation will almost certainly be had about his status for the remainder of the season. Yeah, it's not surprising. If he plays and, and, and they lose this weekend, then you know, they're done. Mm-hmm. What do you uh, think of the reports of uh, uh, Tom Brady possibly going back to New oh, England? stop that. That's not happening. Stop that. Do you think, I, I know we keep talking, I think we've talked about this like the past few days. Like, do you think both of them are back next year? Playing both of quarterback? Who? Brady and Rodgers. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is. Yeah. I don't know if he's in Green Bay, but um, Aaron Rodgers is. I don't think Tom Brady's playing football next year, but yeah. I thought he wasn't playing this year either. Mm-hmm. 
And a uh, sad bit of news. Uh, the baseball world uh, has lost Gaylord Perry. That news coming out uh, earlier this morning. The uh, great artist of disguising <laughs> things uh, to make a ball move a different way. Uh, yeah. Gaylord Perry. That's it on the news. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. Just go there and leave us a five-star rating. This is, of course, a five-star segment. Mark knows where to go. I I mean, just go there. By the way, I forgot to ask. Have you been on the daily been going in to make sure you can get into your Heisman ballot? On the daily? Just making sure. I it took you the entire 11 o'clock hour By on the way, Monday. Uh, yeah, because they changed the security system. And I sent Bianchi a text because he had not yet looked at what that process was. Mm-hmm. So then he looks it up, and even he acknowledged. So then Mike sent out a long email to the Florida voters. And then, Scott, later that night, I got an email from, like, the head of the Heisman Trust. Mm-hmm. Explaining the new process and everything. I'm like, well, where were you guys 10 hours ago? Yeah, exactly. I've not gone back in. Are you worried? No. I don't remember what my password was, though. It was like a paragraph long, you said. Password? No. I don't use the same password, though. Mm-hmm. I think I wrote it down somewhere. I am a Heisman voter because Dan Cilio does Eight, seven, it. exclamation point, pound sign, because you have to have... Yeah. <laughs> Uppercase, lowercase. <laughs> you have to somehow include an emoji, a picture. Yeah. Wow. Uh, history lesson coming up at the bottom of the hour. And again, tonight, UCF Night Talk at 7 o'clock is an island wind company by the campus of UCF. We'll talk with Gus Malzahn, preview the game against Tulane, and our scheduled guests include quarterback, Rice, uh, quarterback for UCF, John Rice Plumley. Maybe he'll answer the question about if he's playing this weekend. Is that your first question? Or well, you I got... think it's got to be one of the questions. I can't just sit there and talk about singing and food. Why not? Well, I can, but I think you have to ask that question. Who says? I think actually Gus will answer the question first. Then Plumley will either second it or disagree. I second it. <laughs> Saturday's <laughs> game at 4. Kickoff is set for uh, 2 o'clock. By the way, one of the restaurants I sent the the, the, the crew the, the crew a list of like six or seven restaurants, mm-hmm. and one that got a couple of votes, is it's a rather nice restaurant. Uh, there aren't our Friday reservations available. Oh, no. So it might just be a walk-up and hope? No, there's plenty of places you can walk. I offered to get I offered to get a very nice table if they wanted to go to Emeralds. Mm-hmm. I still got pretty good clout there. Pick a card. Um, and I'm not offended that it's not getting votes because, you know, it's a little pricey. Mm-hmm. But you're right. From the last time, it may be, oh, Mr. Daniels, you're not exactly at that same level as you were. Well, why is that? Is there a Mr. O'Neill that you're still with? No, no, no. He's long gone. Well, the management staff kind of felt that the card trick's a little bit too much. Was that also the place where he uh, ordered a double whiskey to go? No. that uh, That was in Philadelphia. Okay. That may have been the uh, weekend Frost took the Nebraska job, I think. <laughs> yeah, where, the, where the, wait, the waiter came by. We were invited to go to the, uh, you know, big VIP donors dinner and everything. And, and the waiter came by and goes, uh, is there anything else anybody wants? And and it, it's just a courtesy statement like, oh, no, thank you. It was great. And he wanted a double to go. And I was like, what? Yeah. 
can you put it in a little glass? Yeah. Instead of like, no, thank you. It's fantastic. It was like, you know what? I'd like a double whiskey to go. Yeah. Were you more? It's a gutsy move. It's a gutsy move. Were you more? I don't know if embarrassed is the right word. No. That was not a top five embarrassing moment. Was the Because it didn't happen in front of the person that gave us the invite. Mm-hmm. I was angry. Yeah. But not as much as... The Jameson factory where he's just finishing off no, sample cups? No, that wasn't even top five either. What? No. The, the, when they were giving towards the Jameson uh, uh, factory in uh, Ireland, that may have not been very clean as <laughs> they're giving out small little plastic sample cups. And if you you know didn't finish, he would go in after that group moved out and take everyone's cup and drink out of that. But no, no, no. The angriest I... I, I ever was, was when I got the phone call at the second Fiesta Bowl to come back to uh, the hospitality suite. That was the, that was the angriest. But that wasn't... It was freezing. It was after midnight. It was, and I had lost my voice that week. I was mm. on more steroids than the Liver King guy on, on social media. Um, and I, yeah, that one was... That was, but that wasn't the hospitality with was the in video Atlanta. games. Okay, it was a Peach Bowl where they knew him by name. That when he came into the hospitality, they already had a drink waiting for him. Yeah, that one where he was telling Todd Dash and a UCF volleyball coach's kids learn how to lose as he was beating them in ping pong. Like Jerry, they're they're nine. Yeah, more of the Vita Sports next. Another really good Genesis song right here. Yeah? Yeah, just listen and hear Phil Collins and the boys go to work. The Beat of Sports on uh, this Thursday, we're brought to you by our good friends at uh, Greenway Dodge and Greenway Ford. Black Friday now. At Greenway Dodge and Greenway Ford, take 50% of manufacturers' suggested retail markup. One location, 2,000 vehicles available. Visit or shop GreenwayDodge.com and GreenwayFord.com. Your complete satisfaction is our commitment. Greenway, the only way. It is indeed official. On behalf of the college football playoff, the announcement made about uh, 25 minutes ago. Um, college football playoff will expand to 12 teams uh, starting at the end of the 2024 season. First round of the playoffs will take place the week ending Saturday, uh, December 21. Why is the wording of that important? The week ending Saturday, December the 21st at either home field or uh, of the higher seat or at another designated site, meaning it may be at a stadium uh, that is not big enough that they want moved to a bigger stadium. But the week ending Saturday, December 21st doesn't mean all games played because the National Football League doesn't care what college football wants to do. If the National Football League is going to play football games in December on Saturday, they're playing football games on Saturday. So be prepared for the conference championship games that first Saturday, which would be December 7th of 2024, and then a week off, and then games... My guess is that Thursday and Friday of December 19th and 20th, um, they're going to go head-to-head with the NFL during this, con- uh, uh, 
during this expanded playoff, but not that opening weekend. And then they also announced the quarterfinal games in 24 will be the Fiesta Peach, Rose, and Sugar. The Cotton and Orange host the semifinals. Then in 25 quarterfinals are the Cotton, Orange, Rose, and Sugar. Fiesta Bowl and Peach Bowl host the semifinals. Uh, the championships in 25 is in Atlanta and 26 is in uh, Miami. So that is done. Unbelievable. After the board of athletic directors fought because Oklahoma and Texas went to the SEC and the alliance was formed and everybody was angry and I'm not going to give you a vote and the playoff is dead and it's not going anywhere and I'll put my foot on the ground and so forth and who do you think you are taking those two schools and so forth. And for all the criticism that the board of presidents has gotten, they eventually said, okay, let's let the adults in the room figure something out. And they did. And from the moment that they figured it out at the start of the season in college football, look at the path they made. So this is all the kids in the room were arguing over, they took Oklahoma and Texas, look what they did, and we can't do this. The president said, hey, 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 <clears throat> there's about a half billion dollars out there. And the faster we go take that money, you can get to market and then realize the billions of dollars that they're going to pay for the playoff after this contract expires. So go to your room and we'll do this. And that's what they did. And so the playoff is now set in uh, 2024, the end of that season. So not next year. But the season after is when the 12-team playoff will officially happen. Speaking of playoffs, today's history lesson will turn the clock back to something that was groundbreaking in this sport that today is just accepted as what you're supposed to do. We'll explain in the history lesson next. Yes, indeed, boys and girls. Welcome to the history lesson. Time to gather around. Take your favorite blankie and your pillow. Come on by. Hang out. Do you have a good? Do you have like a like a go to blanket? Like oh, I'm on the couch. It's a little oh, cold. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. There's uh there's two. I mean there's the one. I don't know what it's called. Like it's on the couch. Hmm. Then I think my wife Couch blanket, but I think she's kind of like you're not supposed to use that. It's more decoration. Yeah, and then there's the blanket that once you commit to that, it's no longer about fashion. You're just trying to stay warm. Yeah. So how many pillows on that couch? Which one? The main one in the back? Not as many as the front. Yeah. If if I ever got home and my wife took the pillows off of the front living room couch mm-hmm. and said, "Now place them where they belong." I would rather master the Rubik's Cube before I would know how to put those pillows back. Because it's not just, like, I might guess the location, but the way she puts them Mm -hmm. and then knows how to put the right crease in, it's unbelievable. I think the front front couch has ten pillows on it. A reminder to the audience that uh, Mark's wife put a new lamp in his house, and it took you how long to notice it was there? Six months. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, let's get to today's history lesson, boys and girls. We've actually touched a little bit on this story uh, of a history lesson of the past, but we're moving to an anniversary that makes it worth to pull out uh, again. For many years, the NCAA has been criticized for how they make uh, their rules and go about enforcing their rules, and they're blamed for everything. But there was a time in college sports that people respected the NCAA, in some cases feared them. Uh, They did have, you know, powers that kind of gave this fist of how we run college sports and we know it's best, and we certainly know that's changed over the years to get to where we are today. In 1987... When the NCAA membership approved a proposal made by a small Division II conference called the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference and the Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association, which, by the way, Scott, starts out as CIA. but it's Oh! Yeah. Um, they brought to the NCAA an idea. Now, there were and remain a number of small conferences in college sports and college football, the Division II, Division III level, um, that are regional, that have 10, 15 schools in a one-hour, two-hour drive. In 1987, these two conferences went to the NCAA and said, we have an idea, we've expanded our membership, and we'd like to do something unique, but we need your approval to do this. And the NCAA said, well, what is it you want to do? And they said, well... It's not possible for our teams to play a round-robin schedule. Um, You know, we've got got 12 teams, we've got 14 teams, and they've got some rivalries with other uh, non-conference schools. But what we'd like to do is we'd like to play a championship game and crown a champion. The NCAA said, hmm, wow, that's interesting. So the NCAA took the proposal under consideration. And what they did was they came back and said, well, in order to do that, we would approve the additional game, but you need at least 12 members, and you need to play two divisions. Would that help your scheduling? And those two conferences said, yeah, we could do that. That way you play everybody in your division, and we'll do a rotating schedule of who plays on the other side. And the NCAA only then approved because they said, well, that seems like a fair balanced schedule. And so in 1987, those two small Division two conferences got approval to play a championship game. Well, that bylaw sat on the NCAA rules because everybody at Division One, now known as FC, uh, FBS, they didn't think it applied to them. They just thought it applied to those two conferences in Division Two that got a waiver to play. Until one day, Roy Kramer had an idea. The longtime commissioner of the Southeastern Conference. The league had kicked around the concept of expanding beyond 10 teams. It didn't get much traction, but Kramer thought it was kind of interesting to think of being an innovator in college sports and introducing something that no one else had really done. So, as the SEC was contemplating whether to grow its conference... Kramer had more than just the idea of adding two more teams. The idea was, what if we added a championship game? So he had a lot of things going on. The idea of adding Arkansas and South Carolina, but also taking advantage of a little-known rule that gave his conference a chance to do something that no one else was doing. And just like the SEC, with Greg Sankey, the commissioner, 
under the radar, away from the national media's attention, when Sankey came in and scooped up Texas and Oklahoma to add to his membership, Roy Kramer went around to get support on the addition of Arkansas and South Carolina to become members of the SEC and told very few people about the plan to go to the NCAA and ask for a waiver to play a championship game. Well, when he had support to add the two schools, Roy Kramer went to the NCAA and very quietly said, we're going to expand. We're going to get 12 teams. We're going to add these two teams. And by the way, I'd like you to approve this. And he presented the NCAA the plan of two divisions of six teams and an SEC football championship. In fact, Kramer made the presentation to a couple of people who didn't think the rule applied to Division One, who said to Roy, Roy, this was approved for those two conferences. And Roy said, no, it was approved by the NCAA. And he was right. The NCAA's committee that oversaw the vote to give those two Division II conferences uh, approval for the game had no choice but to tell Roy Kramer, I think you're right. It didn't require another vote. And the SEC announced that they were expanding to 12 teams with South Carolina and Arkansas. And with it, announced the formation of an NCAA football, of an SEC championship game. It was a gamble because Kramer had hoped the NCAA wouldn't say, now we got to put it to a vote and let everybody else know. He wanted to be first. He wanted the announcement to come at the same time when he expanded to 12 that they were adding a championship game. And lo and behold, he was right. And he got the attention. And it was big. You're going back to 1992. Steve Spurrier asked Roy Kramer, quote, is it even legal? Kramer told him, yes, Steve, it is. And get this, Spurrier was in the minority of SEC coaches because most didn't like the idea of a championship game. Spurrier loved it. And there's a charity golf tournament that he was playing in with then-coach of North Carolina basketball, Dean Smith, and then Kansas coach Roy Williams. Williams turned to Coach Smith with Steve Spurrier and said, what next for those guys, a playoff? meaning a national playoff. Well, fast forward years later. And so, the 1992 season is played. The Alabama Crimson Tide are rolling through the year with an undefeated record. They finish 11-0. The Florida Gators, not the same type of success for Steve Spurrier in 1983. The Gators, in fact, opened the year beating Kentucky and then lost to Tennessee and Mississippi State. The Gators sat 1-2, and two, and here's Steve Spurrier thinking, what a great idea to have the SEC championship game, and his team likely is going to miss it. But Florida went on to beat LSU, Auburn, Georgia, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. And Florida won the tiebreaker because that year, the East Division had Florida at 6-2 and two, and Georgia at 6-2. and two. And the tiebreaker was Florida's win over Georgia, 26-24. Meanwhile, Alabama won the West by three, going 8-0. And so, the two teams met in Birmingham at Legion Field, a game I was at. On December 5th, 1992, here's the great Keith Jackson and the TV introduction on ABC of the first of its kind. 
daughters today in this opera, Eric Curry, number 80. John Copeland, number 94. Alabama's defense, Russian cover, one of the best in the nation. The target, Shane Matthews, number nine, Florida quarterback. But it is a truth. The hunted one can be resourceful and dangerous. ABC Sports College Football brings you the Southeastern Conference Championship Game. Presented by Dr. Pepper, matching Alabama and Florida. To refresh your memory, the Southeastern Conference expanded, went to divisions this year. Florida, Georgia tied in the East. Florida beat Georgia when they played. Florida wins the East to meet Alabama, which won the West. And Alabama comes in ranked second in the nation. The winner of this game will be headed to New Orleans and the Sugar Bowl game. The last team to beat Alabama was Florida last year. Since then, Alabama has won 21 straight. And so, on that gray, rainy sky in Birmingham, Alabama, the first SEC championship game was played December 5th, 1992. It was an interesting football game. Alabama wins. They play Miami for the national championship in the Sugar Bowl. If the Gators had won, that was the deal. The SEC champ was going to the Sugar Bowl in 1992. Gators scored first. Eric Red had a touchdown catch. Alabama responded. They scored the next 21 points. Up 21-7, to though, the Gators battled back, got a pair of touchdowns, tying the game at 21 midway to the fourth quarter. Gator fans and Alabama fans know what happened. Florida got the football in the fourth quarter with a chance maybe for a game-winning drive when the following happened. Versus two. First, let's settle this one. And that's a cracking good one as Matthews goes back and throws. Intercepted by Langham. He's on his way. Touchdown, Alabama. start the win against the old foe Auburn a week ago on Thanksgiving Day and steps up tonight. Matthews telegraphed that one, however. Alabama has 59 interceptions over the last 36 games. And they've got some pretty talented people in that secondary. And here's Proctor for the point try. At 3.16 to play in the game, Alabama back to the lead at 28-21. And Steve Spurrier looks crushed. For the Here's moment. Langham here. Watch the receiver is just going to go down and run a curl. Langham with good vision all the way. He's got safety help deep. He reads the quarterback, jumps in front of him. His second interception returned for a touchdown this year. There you look at the receiver. Now, Langham has deep help. He can gamble for this short pass. This is his sixth interception of the year, his 12th career interception, and his third touchdown, two on, punt, on, on interception returns and one on a punt return. And it's the first turnover of the ballgame. 
The great Keith Jackson on the call. Bob Greasy was a color analyst. Jackie Root worked the sidelines that day. Scott, the million-dollar band of Alabama and the pride of the sunshine, Florida's band, played along with the Fifth Dimension and Lee Greenwood were the halftime uh, entertainment of the SEC championship game. And you were there. I was there. My then uh, girlfriend and bride-to-be set the trip up. Uh, Then we were at the Sugar Bowl. I was at the Miami-Alabama game as well. I was at both of those games. Uh, And Alabama goes on uh, to beat Miami for the national championship. The Gators went and played in the Gator Bowl uh, against North Carolina State. 30 years, 1992 on December the 5th was the first SEC championship game. Groundbreaking that changed the sport as far as conferences when it came to expansion, conference championship games. And now here we are in 2022 moving forward. We're doing away with divisions. We've got 16-team conferences and potential for rematches a week after a game is played because we no longer have divisions, but we also have a 12-team playoff. That's today's history lesson. What did you learn? Uh, I learned that they brought out the top talent for that game. <laughs> I brought. I, I I didn't know who was the first to start conference championship games, and I thought they were just around. Like, nope. It's just a thing... That was it. Roy Kramer, uh, he, he did not want that out there, and uh, he fa- it wasn't a loophole. He just said, nope, it's not a Division Two rule. It's an NCAA rule. They were like, oh, he's right. Did you ever meet Roy Kramer? Yes. I mean, to say that we sat and knew each other. No, but no, no, no. no. But at media events, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interview? Yeah. 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 Brilliant guy. I mean, foresaw so much and, and uh, played a significant role in the fact that you moved on to have a bowl alliance and bowl coalition and things like that. So, yeah. Back to wrap up the Thursday show next. Time for the latest news, gossip, trends, and off-the-wall stories. Trends. Ooh. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Before we get out, World Cup, uh, big Morocco wins, uh, beating Canada 2 and They win their group. Yeah. Uh, Croatia draws with Belgium. They advance, and Belgium is out. The number two ranked team... In the world, Belgium, out. Uh, so that is significant in group play earlier today. So Morocco advances, Croatia, uh, uh, Morocco wins a group, and Croatia gets uh, the second spot in the group. Belgium is out. Costa Rica, Germany, and Japan and Spain. The Germans got to win and get some help. Uh, otherwise, they will not advance the round of uh, 16. So big stuff in the World Cup uh, today. Again, the U.S. Saturday morning against uh, the Netherlands. Friday show tomorrow. Dive into the big football weekend. Thanks for hanging out with us. Miss any of our show, the interviews, find them at 96thegame.com or get where you get your podcast and type in The Beat of Sports. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Scott Produce, I'm Mark Daniels, The Beat of Sports.